The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. This morning as we uh, open up chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, he says here that he, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was allowed or if was shown to us what his heart's desire was, what his, if you would, burden was. The Bible says in verse number 2 that he had a great sorrow in his heart for his people. What's interesting is we get into chapter 9, as it almost feels like, and we talked about this this morning in the adult Bible classes, we're doing breakout sessions of what we're studying. Um, it seems strange, kind of, that, that God would interrupt his discussion of salvation in uh, the first eight chapters and devote a long section in chapters 9, 10, 11 to the nation of Israel, by the way. That's who he's addressing in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Why didn't, he move, why, did he, why didn't he move from the doctrinal teaching of Romans 8 to the practical duties of Romans 12 through 15? Why did we have this 9, 10, and 11, chapter 9, 10, and 11? Why, why has the Lord put that there? Because it's almost seeming, and by the way, uh, a lot of people like to just skip over this because it's easier to skip over. And I'll be honest, uh, the temptation is always there. It's just easier to skip over this, the, these last uh, three or these three next chapters that we're going to look at and, and as we look at chapters 9, 10, 11, it kind of reveals to us that this section is not an interruption at all. How many know that God is, uh, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. We know God hasn't made a mistake here, but to us, unless we look at it and understand it and study it, sometimes it seems like it's disjointed from what he was talking about in chapter 8 is he's laid out the righteousness of God. He's laid out the fact that the, by the, the deeds of the law, that the law uh, doesn't save us. By It's not our works that save us, but it's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But can, can we all remember that Paul was a Jew? That Paul was a Jew of Jews? That Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees? That Paul would have been like what we understand as we live here, right kind of on the, uh, the cusp here of Lakewood, and we see a lot of the Hasidic Jews, and we understand their practices and their laws and their traditions. And, and, and can I remind you, that's who Paul was. He was engrossed in that, that he understood the law. But can we all understand as we look at the book of Romans that Paul, through the Lord uh, revealing these things to him, showed us that the law is what meant to bring the knowledge of sin and the understanding that we need a Savior and the understanding uh, that they needed the Messiah and that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come and he was going to pay for the price uh, that they couldn't, they couldn't pay for with their own works and their duties and their keepings of the law. And as Paul is, 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 is wrestling with this in his own heart, as he's talking about, how many know this morning, as, as many of you have come from, you've come from perhaps another religion. Maybe you were born into another religion. Maybe you were baptized as a baby, and you became something. And when you came away from that, what happened? When you, when you broke away from that, it was like you were saying, I'm saved, I know the Lord, because I believed on the Lord. But what about my family? that I just left. We were all in this religion. We were all in this faith. You know how people struggle with not coming to Christ because they're certain religion? Because when they do that, now they're saying that their family's lost, that their family doesn't know Christ, even though that they're religious. Listen, this is where Paul's heart was. He was, he was gut-wrenched over this. He was saying, I thought I was doing the will of God. I thought that I was doing things in the name of God. And I thought I was doing, but you know, how many people are sincere today in their religion and they're, they're lost 
and they're dead in their trespasses and sins and how it doesn't make sense to us that people who, who do things in the name of God, who do things in the name of religion, that they would die and perish, and as the Bible says, uh, into everlasting judgment in the place, the lake of fire. The Bible talks about hell. Uh, that's where those that die in their trespasses and their sins, they go and they perish. And we, we struggle with that. How could God send somebody who's religious that looks at the Bible, that, that is attending a church this morning, that's sitting and praying prayers and, and doing religious things, but Paul understood how he was lost even when he thought he was right. How many of us know we've been saved from some other form of religion in our life? And we thought we were doing things. We thought we knew. We thought we understood. But when we heard the gospel, it changed us. What was ritualistic and what was habitual and what was only merely a title or a tag or what we called ourselves now has become a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and has transformed our hearts and has made us different and it's changed us. And Paul, as he's, he's admitting what God's done in his own life as God appeared to him, and he saw that the Holy Spirit of God had come and, and, and showed him, revealed these things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even the risen Savior appearing before Jesus, uh, be, appearing before Paul, rather, on the road to Damascus and saying, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against these convictions that I've sent to you through the, through the Word of God. And he says this, he says, I wish, verse 3, that I could be accursed from Christ for my brethren. Notice the word brethren here, we have to be careful because how many know when we read the word brethren anywhere else, most of the places in Scripture, it's talking about other believers. It's talking about Christians. It's talking about the church. He's not talking about other believers. He's not talking about Christians. He's not talking about Gentiles even. He's not talking about the church. Notice what he says in verse number 3. Look at it with me. Don't just take my word. Look at it. Verse 3, he says, for my brethren, and then the Holy Spirit shows us who exactly he's talking about. My kinsmen according to the flesh. He's not talking about a spiritual Israel. He's not talking about the church. He's not talking about his brothers and sisters in Christ as as Paul would often refer to them as brethren. He's talking about his lost brothers and sisters in the flesh. His lost Jews, Jewish family. And he wishes himself that he could be accursed for them that they could be saved. And we get the continuation of that in chapter 10. But in chapter 9, what God is showing to us is the rejection of the Messiah by the nation of Israel and God's eternal purpose in Israel and why God used Israel and why God called Israel and what God was doing with them. Because the natural question we would all have after God has just concluded chapter 8 with nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, after God has just told us in verse number 29 to those he calls, those he justifies, and those he justifies, he also glorifies, that there's a chain reaction, if you would, that he tells us that every person who he saves, every person who comes to Christ is justified. Aren't you glad this morning that we are all declared to be righteous through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? That none of us, no matter how, listen, no matter how bad your resume, your record was before, how many know that there's some people in this room that live longer lives and have more experiences and have done some worse things as far as our comparisons would concern? Maybe you were saved at a young age. Maybe you were saved as as an adult and you've done some sinful things in your life. But how many know that we are all justified? 
We are all given the same record. It is that record of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the justification of the believer that he has just gone through chapter after chapter to declare to us and to tell us about. And he's about to step into the practical duties in chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15. But before he gets to our sanctification, as he's told us, those he justifies, he also sanctifies and will eventually glorify. He knows that our response might be this. What? About Israel. What about Israel? Didn't God choose them? Didn't he bless them? Didn't he call them? Didn't he save them? Are we going to be like them? Are we going to have... Think about this. The nation nation of Israel is the only nation that has a past, present, and future that we see fully in Scripture. You know why? Because God is not done with Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the Jews. Notice what he even outlines here in this passage of Scripture. He's not talking to us. He's talking to his brothers that are lost Jews. And the Bible says in verse number 4, to them pertains the adoption, to them the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises who are the fathers of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. How many thankful for Israel today? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came through the nation of Israel. It is through the nation of Israel that all, as he promised, the nations of the world are blessed. It is God choosing that nation to bring about the Messiah that has brought salvation to the world, by the way. God chose that group of people By the way, there was nothing about them except faith. Faith. Abraham. Faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's always been faith that's pleased God. Abraham had faith. God said, I'm going to bless your seed. But you know, the man who's the father of faith in the nation of Israel, isn't it interesting that even in the first thing that God promised he would do through Abraham, he lacked faith. So the faith wasn't his faith in a sense, but God's faith or the faithfulness of God to the nation of Israel. How many know the nation of Israel were not always faithful? But did God become faithless because they became faithless? How many glad that the actions of men do not change the sovereignty of God? What we do doesn't stop God's plan. I understand that we have a responsibility this morning. I understand that God has called us to do some things, that God has has equipped us by His Spirit to do His will, that man's responsibility is important as it comes to the sovereignty of God and God telling us. And listen, I am not standing up here this morning and thinking that I in any way, shape, or form understand fully the sovereignty of God. None of us do. We see through a glass darkly. We don't fully understand it. We can't fully explain it. That's why theologians that have higher degrees than, than I could even dream of holding argue about these things. I'm not here to argue with you this morning, to be divisive this morning. What I want to do this morning is declare to you that the attributes and faithfulness of a holy, wonderful, loving, gracious, merciful God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever is seen in the nation of Israel. It's not something we look at Israel and say, well, God stopped, he failed. These natural questions are, 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 are told to us. Notice in verse number 14, he asks some questions kind of rhetorically. Look what he says in verse number 14. You see it in the Bible, Romans 9, verse 14. Is there unrighteousness with God? 
What's the answer to that question? God forbid. No way, Jose. No, there is no unrighteousness with God. Does God make mistakes? No, he doesn't. He doesn't make mistakes. Let me ask you a question. Even if we don't understand what God does, does he make mistakes? He doesn't make mistakes. I like even the Bible showing us Paul trying to say, I'm not lying to you, verse 1. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit of God. I want to tell you, hey, listen, just kind of we understand as we're reading chapter 9 that it's God's word, that it's not a lie, that God's word is true. But notice even we're seeing into Paul's heart. I understand how you could think that I'm not telling the truth to you, but I want you to understand this. When it comes to the nation of Israel, God didn't make a mistake and God didn't fail. Because a lot of people would look at Lakewood today and say God must have failed some people. Did God fail anybody? He didn't fail. The Bible reveals to us at the end of the chapter that the reason why they have, look at, look at end of chapter 9. Verse 32, why? Why are they not saved? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. How many know that Jesus is something, someone that you have to deal with? You cannot just shake Jesus off. People try to deny Christ. They try to get rid of him. They try to whitewash it. They try to change history. They try to burn the Bible. They try to do all this stuff. But how many know that Jesus is your savior or your stumbling block? He's either the one you receive that gives you wisdom and knowledge and understanding or he's the one you have to trip over and try to explain away but none of the the explanations make sense that you can't get rid of Jesus. That even today we understand that we're singing with confidence. Listen to me. Our church did not come from some religion in Rome. Our church came from Jewish believers who saw the risen Savior with their own eyes, with their own hands. They touched him. They saw him. The reason why we sing about a risen Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord today, is not because we think it happened and not because we are guessing that it happened or not even because in human experience we're hoping that it took place. We are banking on the eyewitnesses that God left to us and through history has preserved his word over and over and over as he's promised and we can say with sure and with confidence that Jesus Christ is risen indeed as a fact today. It's a fact. It's not something we're guessing about. It's not something that we're hoping for. It's a fact. Jesus is risen. He's the Savior and Lord of all. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies. He is the Lord, the Savior. And if you don't believe that by faith, you'll stumble over him. You'll stumble over him in religion wondering why he's here, what he's about. Listen, if Jesus is not the only way to salvation, he is not a way to salvation at all. Because you cannot pollute the purity of the gospel of by grace through faith by adding our works and our rituals and our deeds and what we do. If we think that it's somehow something that we did to merit his favor, we got it wrong. How many of us know that grace means we don't deserve it? What do we deserve? We're all sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But how does Israel match up to any of this? As we look at the nation of Israel, well, 
the first three, 13 verses focus on these attributes. Let me give you four attributes of God that we see in this passage of Scripture that God is consistently reassuring to us in light of what we see in Israel. Remember the subject content here is Israel. The first three, 13 verses reveal to us God's faithful. God's faithfulness. He's faithful. You know, it's remarkable how Paul moves from the joy of Romans 8 into the sorrow and burden of Romans 9. When he looked at Christ, he rejoiced, but when he looked at Israel, he wept. I don't know about you, but when I look at Christ, I rejoice, and I'm not by my flesh racially a Jew. But I tell you, when I look at the Israelites that are right here, the nation of Israel that's on our doorstep, they are doing all that they are doing in the name of a holy God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they are missing the Messiah. Therefore, they're miserable because everything's just work, 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 work. The law, what does the law do? It condemns us over and over and over again because we can't keep it. And what do we have to do? We have to make more laws to make it seem like we're keeping the law, to make it seem like we're righteous. And we have, to, uh, we have to polish the outside as Jesus looked at the Pharisees in his day who were no different. And he said, look, you're like whited sepulchers on the outside. You paint the outside, but in your heart, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You think yourself to be righteous, but you're not because you can't be righteous apart from my righteousness. We can't make that same mistake thinking that somehow ritual, religion, no matter what you've been born or what you religion you were taught from a little child or what kind of baptism you experienced. I sat in the barber's chair this week and, and somebody asked me, at what point do I need to baptize my, they had a newborn, my baby. And I said, after they received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, you know, the, the, the sad thing is, is that was perplexing to them. Because the follow-up question was, what about their original sin? And I asked the question, I said, do you really believe that any amount of physical water, any amount of physical water, no matter what man touched it or blessed it, could somehow wash away your sin? There's rivers of blood in the Old Testament of animals' blood and sacrifice that could not wash away their sins. You think that by for some small token of, uh, of our good nature or goodwill that we could wash away sin with water? It would never happen. It's only through Christ. It's only through His blood that we understand our responsibility. But as many as received Him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even them that believe on his name. Oh, God's salvation with uh, married with our responsibility to receive it by faith. To understand that when God says something, we have to believe it. His word is true and that what we think is not. And that we don't have to question him, but yet believe him. And understand that what he tells us is the truth. Israel was adopted by God as his own people. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, he, he gave them his glory in the tabernacle and the temple. The glory of Moses was beheld on Mount Sinai. It came to dwell with Israel. God gave Israel his covenants, the first to Abraham and then to Moses and to David. And he gave them his law to govern their political, social, and religious life and to guarantee his blessing if they obeyed. He gave them the service of God, referring to the ministry in the tabernacle and the temple. He gave the promises. He gave the patriarchs. 
He gave the purpose of it all. And the purpose of all this blessing, and this is what they missed, was that through them, Messiah would come into the world. Through them, Jesus Christ would come into the world. It was that Messiah who was being prophesied about and typified as they in Egypt hurriedly prepared the Passover meal, hoping the death angel would pass over as they anointed their, their doorposts uh, with blood of a lamb that they, uh, that they uh, killed and sacrificed and ate with her shoes on in haste, ready to go because God was going to use that blood to cause death to pass over, deliver them from the bondage of uh, those that enslaved them and bring them eventually to the promised land through the wilderness. That was the picture. Jesus, the lamb. And when John the Baptist was preaching beside the Jordan River to those who were coming to be baptized under repentance, he was saying this to them, I'm not the lamb. I'm not the Messiah. I'm a prophet. I'm a forerunner. I've come as a prophecy of old time to do this as God has given me this privilege to declare, to herald to you the coming of the Messiah. And here he is, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Wow. Some believed and some didn't. Some responded in faith and some in rejection. As he refers to us in the first 13 verses, same things happen with the Gentiles. Some some have responded in faith and some in rejection. We understand God's purpose and plan in all these things. All of these blessings were given freely to Israel and to no other nation. But in spite of these blessings, Israel failed. But can I submit to you this morning, God did not fail. He did not fail. And he's not done. And he's not finished. No matter what happens politically in our climate and culture, and no matter what happens to our nation, God is not going to fail. God is sovereign. He's in control. And can I tell you, as he came the first time, he's coming back, not as king of the Jews, but as king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to sit on the throne. And he's going to do what he said he would do. And he's going to bring peace to the earth. And he's going to bring order to this place. He's going to make his enemies his footstool. And hey, listen, those that know Christ, we're going to rule and reign with him. What an awesome thing. That's what we live for. That's why he said in those previous verses, hey, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Stop dragging your head and looking down and being discouraged at the climate and culture and the sea in the world. God has not failed. He will never fail. He has not failed his people, Israel. He will not fail his children. He will not fail us. Does Israel failure mean that God has failed? No, because it was not of natural descent as we see In Romans chapter 2, there's a difference between the natural seed of Abraham and the spiritual children of Abraham. Abraham actually had two sons, Ishmael by Hagar. How many know that it didn't take much faith for Abraham to go into Hagar, his wife's handmaid, who was young and physically able to bear children, for him to go in and have a child by her because he lacked faith to believe that God could do it? Hey, how many remember that when God delivered that prophecy to them that Sarah laughed because she was above 90 years old? How many ladies would laugh if you were even near close to that age. I know we have no ladies that are even close to that age uh, this morning, but if you were even near close to that age, if you heard that you were going to have a child, you, (laughs) no way, it'll never happen. Impossible. Faith says nothing's impossible for God. 
By the way, when Abraham chose to have Ishmael, God still kept his sights on Isaac. God knew the plan. God never deviated from it. And God is able to always, no matter what man does in our failures. Aren't you glad this morning that even though you're going to fail in this life, that God's salvation will never fail you? That God's plan for you will never fail? That the sanctification purpose of making you and conforming you to the image of Christ is not going to be sidetracked somehow by your actions? That your actions didn't stop him from saving you? Didn't he still save you? Some of you sitting here this morning say, I have no idea why I'm even in church on a Sunday morning. I said, I never do stuff like this. I used to laugh at people that go to church and think that this was important to come in and worship and open up the Bible and, uh, you know, dedicate their whole weekend, you know, my only day off uh, to come in to worship God. This is crazy. This is, hey, he's changed you, hasn't he? He's put a new heart. He's put a new song. He's changed you. His purposes are, are coming to fruition in your life and I understand him perfectly. How many of you failed like me this week? Failed miserably. Two seconds before I got up, I said, God, I've failed you and failed you and failed you. I don't even deserve the preacher word this morning, but thank you for the privilege. Thank you. Because I don't deserve it. None of us do. We came in this morning and we were poor and maimed and blind and halt, yet his, his grace... His grace and His mercy on us. How dare we lift up our heads and think we're something. Come on, we're here this morning to lift up Christ and what He's done for us in our lives and look around the room so different in culture and race and background and that's the church of the living God, isn't it? Because He saved us and His people are going to cry one day of every nation, tribe and people and language and tongue, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. And we came in to experience that on a, very human level this morning, the best we could. But is it awesome that we get to? God's faithfulness is seen. It's not of natural descent. It's not of the will of man. No, it's, not, it's, not of, it's not of man's wisdom. It's not what we can do. It's not of human merit, verses 11 through 13, but of God. Not only do we see God's faithfulness, but number two, we see his righteousness. We see his righteousness. Is there verse 14? unrighteousness with God, God forbid, did God make any mistake? Let me ask you a question. As you look at Lakewood, would you have chosen the nation of Israel? We would have chosen the winner. We would have chosen, listen, you wouldn't have chosen David in the lineup of his brothers either. You wouldn't have chosen Moses Anybody here would have chosen Samson? You would have chosen Gideon behind the threshing floor hiding. You wouldn't have chosen, you definitely wouldn't have chosen me. Maybe you wouldn't have chosen yourself. But isn't God's wisdom greater than ours? And God knows it's not of human merit. If it was, it wouldn't be of grace. But we see God's righteousness Did God do something wrong? No, because God's choosing is always a matter of grace. The reference in Exodus 33 here deals with Israel's idolatry. While Moses was on the mountain receiving the law, the whole nation deserved to be destroyed. Paul then quotes Exodus 9.16. He gives Pharaoh as an illustration 
Was Moses really even any better than Pharaoh? Was Moses some kind of great person? Moses was a man that was full of failings. Can I remind you that Moses in his passion for his people killed that Egyptian and buried in the sand and went running and tucking tail into the wilderness hoping to hide. But guess who found him in the burning bush? God, Jehovah. See, you can't hide from God. and You can't hide from his purposes. And God has a way, always, his way. And uh, he gives these illustrations to reveal to us his righteousness. I submit to you this morning that this does not in any way detract from the righteous God and the fact that God is holy and must punish sin. But can I say this? God is loving and desires to save sinners. God is not going to save anybody except for the way that he's already made. There's no other way. Listen, I'd love to be able to get up this morning and say if you have any kind of motive that you think is good, that all of us are children of God, that all of us can somehow make a way to God on our own, that all of us, no matter what our backgrounds and our cultures and our religions are, see, this morning, it's not about our way, it's about His way. His way. What's He saying here? His way is a righteous way. His way is a right way. His way. He discusses Pharaoh's heart. You know, this hardening process referred to at least 15 times in Exodus 7 through 14. We're told sometimes that Pharaoh hardened his heart and other times that God hardened Pharaoh's heart through the plagues that he sent. But by declaring his word, revealing his power, God gave Pharaoh opportunity to repent, didn't he? How many times did Pharaoh have opportunity to repent? How many times? Can I remind you that the Pharaohs before the one that Joseph served under, recognized God and allowed Joseph to lead the nation of Egypt towards God in worship of God? And this Pharaoh would not. And even though he saw great wonders in the plagues, he said no to God. God gave him countless time over and over and over again. Didn't he keep sending his messenger to him? This is what God said. This is what God said. This is what God said. And Pharaoh said, no, 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 no. And even at the face of seeing a sea parted and a people in masses moving across on dry land, Pharaoh said no to God again. See, God will be a savior to you or he'll be your destruction. He'll be a stumbling block to you. He refused and rejected But not only do we see God's faithfulness and God's righteousness, we have to hasten, we see God's justice. Verses 19 through 29, there's so much here that I cannot cover it all this morning in this time that we have, but we know that God by nature is perfectly just. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Genesis 18 through 25. 25. It's unthinkable that God uh, would would will an unjust person or a person to perform an unjust act. But how many know that sometimes God uses the evil that men mean unto us for good in our lives? How many know that God can use the evil in this world? How many know that God has used evil kings to do his will? Because he holds their heart in his hand and he's in control. He can use those that reject him. And let me ask you a question. Will you be used for God's will for good 
or will you be used for God's will for evil and your rejection of him? But God will always work it out for good, won't he? God will always work it out according to his plan. He submits in verses 19 through 21, who are we to argue with God? Anybody ever argue with God? Well, I was just arguing with myself. We argue with God. We ask God why and we wonder how. Who is the clay to ask the potter why? Who is the clay to ask the potter and to think that we could somehow undo what God is doing? We have feelings and intellect and willpower and we can resist Him. Jeremiah 18 uh, reveals to us this truth. We can resist Him if we choose. But who are we to question Him? This does not excuse us from responsibility. Pharaoh had great opportunities to learn about the true God and he chose to rebel. God has his purposes. We must never think that God enjoyed watching a tyrant like Pharaoh. He endured it, the Bible says here. He endured it. He didn't take pleasure in it. God doesn't take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. God doesn't enjoy. God would that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. He didn't have his own son go to a cross and die the way he did because he didn't love sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And let me bring you right back to the text that we're in this morning. The last verse, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He made sure he referred back to Romans chapter 3, right? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He went right back and said, hey, listen, even what Israel did doesn't stop what God can do. And he's not done with them. God is his purposes, his ultimate purpose through Israel is to bring about the Messiah. All of this, by the way, was prophesied, verses 25 through 29. Look what he says in verse number 25. He tells us, as he saith also in Osi, in the Old Testament, I will call them my people, which were not my people. This was all prophecy. How many know God's word's true? Everything he says is going to happen is going to happen. Everything. And by the way, all the prophecies of the Messiah were fulfilled in Christ. In his first coming, with the law, he fulfilled the law. All of this was prophesied. And what does this all prove? That God was not unjust that God is not unrighteousness, that God is not unfaithful, but rather lastly as we close this morning, that this is the grace of God. This is the grace of God. Look at the last three verse, or last four verses, 30 through 33. So far Paul's defending the character of God by showing his faithfulness, his righteousness, and his justice. Israel's rejection hasn't canceled this. It's only proved that he was true to his character and his purposes despite the failures of man. Paul moves next from divine sovereignty to human responsibility. Notice the Jews sought righteousness but didn't find it, while the Gentiles who were not searching for it found it. And what's the reason? Israel tried to be saved by works and not by faith, and the Gentiles came by grace through faith. All right, she found it. Listen, grace is why we're saved this morning and no other reason. God's grace, it's His grace that we're saved. By the way, it's His grace that we have His word. 
It's His grace that we know about the gospel today, that we have heard the gospel. How many in this world need to hear this message? Hear the gospel. Clear presentation. Are we just going to kind of take it for granted this morning and say, we already know this, it's already revealed to us? What is this meant to do in our lives? Well, if we take for granted the grace of God, and we start to somehow slip back into some kind of legalistic uh, view of the gospel, thinking that somehow we're saved because we deserved it. We're saved because God knew somehow how great we would be after salvation. And we're saved today through some means other than God's grace. Then we are not understanding all of what God is trying to show us. None of us deserve this. It's all His grace. Brings us back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, doesn't it? For by grace you save through faith and it not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God's grace. Notice the main thrust of this chapter is clear. Israel's rejection of Christ does not deny the faithfulness of God. Romans 9 doesn't negate Romans 8. God's still faithful. God's still righteous. God's still just. God's still gracious, and he can be depended on to accomplish his purposes and to keep his promises. So if you have those questions today, what if God, did God ever fail anybody? No, God forbid, he didn't fail. Is God unrighteous in any of his dealings? No. Is God unfair? No. Is God ever unmerciful and ungracious? No. He's always gracious. Can I remind you that he has been gracious to you if you have received the gospel? And can I remind you, if you have never come to Christ by grace through faith, I'm not talking about that you think you're saved because you, you're a good person, because you're keeping some kind of law, whatever ritual, law, or habits you were taught through religion, that through keeping some kind of those things, that that is bringing about your salvation. One day, many people are going to think because they were sincere or because they were religious that they deserve heaven. There's a lot of people on the earth today that if you ask them why they should go to heaven, they always will say to you, it's because I feel that I'm good. It's because I feel that I've done enough good things. But the Bible always declares to us that there's none that doeth good, no, not one. See, we're comparing our goodness to each other. But how do you match up when you compare yourself to God? Not too good. Neither do I. And that's the only comparison we need to make this morning. See, we didn't come in here today in some social experiment to compare ourselves among ourselves. The Bible says that's not wise. But we've come in here today before Christ and His Spirit and His Word to judge ourselves through this. Let me ask you a question. Through God's Word, how do you match up? Are you saved by grace through faith? Not of yourself? Are you trusting in yourself, in your own doings, in your own workings? Are you fully trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross? And if you are, hey, listen, the Bible says you're saved, secure, righteous, justified, sanctified, glorified. It's a done deal with God. And none of your failings today will hurt God's purposes tomorrow. But believers... Listen, we understand our responsibility, don't we? We are responsible to do what this word says, to love God through keeping his commandments, knowing that he loves us, not through our works, but because he has loved us through his son, Jesus. And now today, if you don't know Christ, if you've never received him, listen, I don't care what you learned as a kid. 
or what baptism you experienced or what ritual you went through. If you've never come to Christ through the finished work of Christ on the cross and just through him, that's it. Anything plus Jesus is not salvation. Just Jesus alone. Just by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. That's salvation. Are you saved today? Do you know Christ? If you're not, would you, would you call on him? Because if you believe on him today, if you confess your sins, if you repent to Christ and understand you're unworthy and he is gracious, he will save you, the Bible says. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.